What's up and welcome to another episode of the Scott and Ian show on the SBL podcast. Today, we're talking about a few things. Have we been sleeping on Alembic? Do you guys like Alembic bases? They a huge deal for you. For me, what for whatever reason, I sort of missed them. And whenever the conversation comes up, I'm like, oh, yeah, like I remember the Alembic epic from the 90s, but I was never into all that stuff. Well, <laughs> Scott is so funny because he will get on this tear about gear where we'll be talking. He'll be like, I'm selling it all. I can't. There's no more bases. I don't want any of this stuff anymore. And then he's like, dude, I was on reverb for eight hours last night looking at Alembics. So we're going to talk about that. He's going to school me. He's going to school you on why Alembics are amazing. He's also going to talk about his secret new base hero. That's pretty fun. And what else we got? Oh, yeah. Vintage versus modern bases. People ask me all the time, like, what's what's better? Should I get a, invest in a vintage instrument? Should I get something that's a new build? What what would you do? Well, it totally depends. And we put out a YouTube video not too long ago with Andy Baxter in Leeds, who's a vintage base dealer. And, you know, we discuss all of that. We discuss it on the podcast. And I think it's going to be a good time. I know it's a good time. I was there. I was part of it. Hey, check it out. This week coming up on SBL, the big news is that the Jazz Accelerator closes tomorrow, and I'm seeing here that it is the last time, the very last time, to gain access to this course in this format. We're going to revamp it, do something else with it, but if you want full-on jazz... You need some jazz in your life. This is going to be the last time it's offered in this format and probably, probably at this price point. So if you want it, grab it. It's the last time it closes tomorrow. Okay. It's enough of me. Let's get into this episode. I don't know. Just for me, he's just truly, he surpasses like from an emotional state, I don't know. There's something about his playing that just surpasses everybody else for me. It's just like, just I was saying earlier, like the music is just sort of like flowing out of him, and it's yes, shockingly oh. good, shockingly good, shockingly good. If anybody's wondering what we're talking about, we're talking about um, a guy called Julian Lage or Lage. How do you pronounce it? Lage, Lage. I I always said Lage, Lage. Yeah, but I it's don't know. It's spelled L A G E. <laughs> And um, he's done a recent interview on Rick Beato's show, um, but he's and we've talked about him briefly on this yeah. uh, on the pod. He's a guitar player, and he's truly just outlandishly, stunningly good. It's just incredible. Um, he's yeah. got a trio at the minute with with somebody from Minneapolis, isn't he? Like Dave King's playing with Dave him at the King. minute. Yeah. Yep. And if anybody wants to sort of like watch, just if there's just one clip to watch it's the one i've just sent it over to ian um it's i'll be seeing you live in los angeles julian large yeah it it'll tear your face off it's just <laughs> frightening frightening <laughs> the it is intro, so good. yeah he just he does this thing in the intro and i've and i i it just blows my mind in fact should i just play it i'm yeah, just gonna play, play it. it and and me, as you get ready to play it let me just say it blows your face off and like you know we're saying using words like oh monstrous and you know like incredible but not in a muscular way not in like a not in like a flexy crazy uh technique way he has command of the instrument and, and dynamic on the instrument in a way that i don't know i i've never quite heard yeah it's really it's, cool it's bonkers yes can you hear this 
Barely. Turn it up. It's just... And this is all improvised. What? Oh, I know. On a telly. Yeah, on a telly. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> and a stunning trio on that. Um, ben oh. on upright. Ben. Oh my word! What's his name? Oh, what a douche, Ben. <laughs> Ben. <laughs> Not oh. you, Ben. Scott's referring to himself Fuck. in this instance. <laughs> Come on, hang on. Julian Lage. Ben. 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 What's the bass player called? Oh, no. Maybe it isn't Ben. Um, even worse. Okay, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this. Okay, live in LA. He's a fantastic um upright we player. need jim we need jim on the podcast we do jim where are you scott collie oh my god ben where's ben come from <laughs> <laughs> screw you ben <laughs> yes scott collie on upright scott bass Colley. and kenny wallison on drums scott collie is a fantastic upright player have you ever played upright yeah that ever, you have yeah. yeah i mean oh, and I, yeah you, you've got that story about oh yeah dude oh god yeah. i mean yeah i i played ah, play upright it's interesting man i get called to play <laughs> there's is like two producers in my life that still call me to do some upright sessions so i actually record upright more than i play it on gigs there was a time in my mid-20s that i was playing upright on a lot of gigs on a tour and i yeah. got uh, I got passable on it. You know, it's that thing of like, man, playing upright in a in a heavy classical context or a heavy jazz context, it's just, it's your whole life, right? People that do it really, really well in, yeah, um, yeah. in jazz circles or in classical circles, it's just like, it has to be everything, I think. And and there are exceptions like the doublers like Patitucci and Bromberg. And, but man, I just found that I underestimated what it was going to take. Like I played it a little in, yeah. in school, right? And then when I got out, I was like, oh, I should buy one and I'm going to get really good at it. And I've maybe told this story before, but I saw the Oscar Peterson trio and I believe... I feel like the bass player's name was David Young, old white dude who yeah. just came out with Oscar Peterson and they started to just shred this bebop head together. <laughs> quiet, really quiet at like a thousand BPM. I mean, it was like, <laughs> and he was all in thumb position, just like yeah. murdering this head. And I just, I had two thoughts. I, I had um, grief. I went, Oh, I'll never, ever do that, that ever that ain't what something i'm gonna do yeah, yeah yeah and then i and then my second thought was relief i was like oh <laughs> you know uh, oh cool i'll never have to do that you know like because yeah, i'm putting a yeah. flag in the ground it's gonna be like upright and then just passable uh I, I just need to be functional on the upright but i do some boeing gigs where i'm putting parts together wow um, and yeah man uh, you know and but i'm not 
super competent at it. I'm good at it if I can control when I'm recording. <laughs> you know, yeah, stand yeah, yeah. there with yeah, the laptop yeah. by my side and and you know get in and get out when I need to. Uh, but I know how it should sound and I can make it that way in the studio. But yeah, what a respect, mad respect to people that play that thing really well. Do you play? Yeah. I don't. I don't. I wish I did, but my hands had started going south by the time I was. I, I kind of had the um, inclination to get into it. Um, my my focal dystonia had started going, yeah. you know, affecting my hands. So it wasn't. It was wasn't anything I could do. But I would. I would have loved to get into it, actually. Um, and yeah. I think I don't know. Like I could have seen myself. Like the, I really love jazz. Um, yes. I love upright. And it's definitely something I could have gone down. I could have gone down that pathway if it was available, but it just wasn't. Um, that's not an excuse, you know. It's just it is what it is. But um, a lot of my friends, similar to what you were saying, have said that you really need to dedicate yourself oh. because it's such a physical yeah. instrument to play that if you're not doing it regularly, you're you, you actually become out of shape. Yes. It's not like the electric bass where you go on holiday, you come back and you can play it. There's yes. actually a sort of like a much more physical um, element to the instrument oh. when you're playing it. So you've got to, it's like going to the gym, you know, yeah. take take a month off going to the gym. You're going to feel it, dude. <laughs> you're going to feel it. Do <laughs> oh, you that's remember? what I've been told anyway. <laughs> You know, yeah, I heard it on the grapevine. That's, that's what the bros say down at the gym. Hey, yeah. do you remember when we were doing that? Uh, we did a Thundercat video, and you got that huge blister on your third finger. Yeah. Because, yeah. you know, we were we were playing, um, oh, what was it? Them Changes, <laughs> Them Changes, right? yeah. Doing the arpeggio part and uh, forthcoming uh, SBL video on Thundercat. It's going to be yes. so fun. Yeah. But um, that's the thing that happens on Upright, where, like, you, you're putting so much energy into it trying to make this thing happen and then you just your hand just hurts there's blisters there's aches and pains there's your shoulders i mean oh my god everything just flares up yeah especially if you're gigging it and you're trying to get a good sound and you're trying to play with energy and you're probably overplaying Oh my God! I mean, it's it's yeah. brutal. It's brutal. and then you've got the whole freaking carrying the beast as oh, well. Like, yeah, you have to change your automobile. I yeah. mean, you know, like the automobile you have right now, not going to cut it for the upright. Yeah. yeah, no, no coupe, dude. No coupe. <laughs> I don't know. Do you reckon you could do it in the Wrangler? Oh yeah, absolutely. And I've, and I've do done it in, it in the Wrangler. Yeah, but but it's funny, man. My upright actually, I probably I probably do four sessions on it a year. But then you know what else I do with it? I rent it. So pe there are people in Minneapolis that need it for gigs or oh, for wow. sessions. So you rent it out. Yeah. I rent it out. So it's like a little money maker. <laughs> That's amazing. Hey, talking about Wranglers, just my kids have got this kind of like total misconception now of of, of you and, and the car that you drive. Because okay. obviously, for people that don't know, Ian drives a Wrangler. A, a Jeep, um, yeah. Yeah, and what's the... Uh, what model is it? It's a Rubicon. Uh, the it's Rubicon, a... that's <laughs> yeah. it. But it's yeah. like an old one, isn't it? It's yeah. the old Rubicon. Well, in town, a couple of weeks ago, myself, my two kids, we were walking through town dude there was this yeah. freaking rubicon it was like brand new and it was basically a road a, a road like road going monster truck yes it was freaking massive it had these Big massive tires, tires like the yeah. full thing yeah. like it didn't have a skull and crossbones on the side of it but in my memory it does it did <laughs> yeah, right? of course yes, yeah so to my to my kids i was like hey see that car over there i was like that's what ian drives <laughs> and they were like 
Oh, Whoa. dude. And I was Are like, they... yep, oh. that's what it... And then I just left it. Oh. So in, in their minds now, when you're driving around Minneapolis, you're in a monster truck, dude. Just, yeah. You're like oh, a hero. Dude. They're going to be the so disappointed if they ever come out and see it. They're going to be like, oh, I was going to say, oh, like, I'll send them a picture, but it'll break their, don't you do know, it. like. It, <laughs> don't smash their dreams, man. Don't, don't smash their dreams. <laughs> uh, yeah, well, the Jeep Wrangler, it is cool, and you can haul stuff in it, man. It's it's amazing. Uh, you can put an upright base in it if you need. It's on the bucket list for me, man. <laughs> you I, I want a Rubicon. One. Yeah, Rubicon. Yeah, I think it'd be awesome. You got to hey, get one. While we're talking about jazz, just want to mention it super quickly um, because we've got the Jazz Accelerator, which yes, is one of my sort of like signature educational programs that I created um, maybe 18 months, 24 months ago, something like that. Um, we only open it for enrollment once a year yeah. and it's open right now. And I think it's only for like four or five days or something like that, that it's open. And I think this will be getting published the day before it closes. Oh, okay. So, yeah. So, if you want to check it out, it's called the Jazz Accelerator. Basically, studying with me, 15 weeks, all about jazz. It's a really uh, unique framework that I've put together to to get people into this. And you might be thinking, jazz? Like, what is this? I, do, do I, I, am I going to have to get an upright? Absolutely not. Um, my whole... Let me give you a sort of like two minute pitch on why everybody should learn a bit of jazz. Yes. And Ian has, you know, I mean, like everybody, all, I don't know any pro bass players really like out there sort of like gigging musos, proper, proper, you know, players. Uh, proper that, players, mate. Proper players, yeah. <laughs> that haven't, haven't dedicated a bunch of time to getting some of this stuff under their fingers because it's truly important. So if you think about guys like Pino Palladino, Carol Kay, James Jameson, Anthony Jackson, like the list just goes on and on. Flea. Flea. Um, who was Victor Wooten. Victor Wooten, Nathan East, all of these giants of bass, they all have at one point either studied jazz or just do it outright. They're sort of like focused on jazz. But all of right. the people that we just mentioned there, that you probably won't know them for jazz, but they have dedicated a big portion of their of their musical um, life to studying um, and getting into jazz. And the reason is, is because it's just such a great tool and vehicle to not only learn how music and chords really work, like really, you know, like, so you're yes. not just painting by numbers. So you're not just playing like, hey, I'm playing a C major and then I'm playing an F major and then maybe I'm playing an A minor. And you have no clue of how these things are connected or why they work or anything like that like it's just an amazing tool and vehicle to learn all of that stuff and that's um why i wanted to put the jazz accelerator together because i wanted to give people a a kind of sort of like a new approach to learning jazz and what we do in the program again it's 15 weeks long it's split up into sort of like three sections in each section we take one jazz standard Okay, so we, t we spend five weeks on a jazz standard, then swap that out, do another standard, then another standard. So we do three tunes over 15 weeks. And when we're working on each tune, we work on it from five different elements. We're working on the walking bass lines. We work on the melody and interpretation. So yes, you learn how to play the melody. We work on the theory and functional harmony of it. So we look at that each tune and figure out why do all of these chords work together? What does this mean? How do we get that and translate that into bass? 
bass lines and grooves. Then we also work on soloing and improvisation. And then we also focus on playing the actual chords as well, being able to outline all of the chords on the fingerboard. So we take that sort of like five step process, we use it over five weeks, and then we times it by three. Because we do it on three different jazz standards. Each jazz standard getting slightly more difficult as you move through. So it's a badass course. Again, we only open it for one enrollment this year. We probably, I'm going to say this with a caveat of we probably, it looks like we might not ever open this again. Really? Yeah, really, yeah. Because it might be getting dissolved and you know, we might be changing sort of like direction with that program and incorporating it in a another program that's a much higher price point. So that as a singular product, as it is right now, this is, might be might the be only time. Away. Yeah, it might be going away, yeah. Wow, so, okay. And, and, and even yeah. if it isn't, like I, I'm sort of like 90% sure it is going away. Um, and even if we did open it for enrollment, once again, it will be next year, even if we'd like, you know, like, summer next year but it's only open for enrollment for a handful of days and it is closing enrollment tomorrow so if you do want to check it out go to studybasewithscott.com you'll find it there check it out and if you want to give it a test drive and you're on the fence we've got a 30-day money-back guarantee anyway so you can actually go through a whole four weeks of the program just to see if it's for you and if we don't rock your world in every single way you can be like hey i want my money back and we'll give it you back you just shoot an email through to laura at support at scott space lessons you'll be refunded within 24 hours and if you do find it's rocking your world you're going to get access to 18 plus hours of video content that's pre-recorded that you get lifetime access to and also we do live workshops and live streams all throughout the program as well so you can interact with me ask me questions in real time if you're getting stuck on any of the parts it's a badass program again go check it out studybasewithscott.com it's probably the last time it's going to be open for enrollment and it closes tomorrow I mean, you sold me. I feel like I'm going to go on the website and register right now. Um, Do it. Let, me, let me throw something else in there, too. If you're one of those people, like I have been in the past, that has said, oh, I don't know, jazz. I had a very complicated relationship with the word jazz, and I thought it meant, you know, only the heaviest, you know, only Coltrane stuff that it, at first to me was sort of like unlistenable. Yeah. But I discovered that it, jazz can be so much more broad. And if you have an understanding of how Stevie Wonder uh, uses chords in bridges. Oh, I like Stevie Wonder. Does that That's mean jazz, I like jazz? Yeah. Oh, uh, if you... If Jamaica, you why, dude. Exactly. Jamaica yeah. is acid jazz. You know, right. like that is the... It's it's interesting. I made I did a podcast, that solo podcast I did recently. I mean, I was talking about it, that when you say jazz, instantly everybody's sort of like, oh, like that. You know that. that <laughs> sure. Does it sound like an old There's guy singing in the shower? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And then I played them all of these examples of. Well, actually, it's Jamiroquai. It's also sort of like jazz fusion. Uh, it's also like big band. I was playing them sort of like Anthony Jackson playing with Michelle Camilo Latin Latin jazz, and it's it's all encompassing. And for me, what really kind of I think it stems back to is that it, it's. It's improvisational. I think that that's at the heart of it. If somebody was like, well, what is jazz? For me, I'm like, any kind of style, if it's just got this real improvisational element to it, if it's mm-hmm. if it's got that heart. 
And I say that, you know, blues has also got that, I would say. There's also a really important part of improvisation in blues. So I'm not sure what when is it blues and when is it jazz. I think it's obvious when I listen to it, but I'm not sure it's obvious when other people listen to it. Sure. But yeah. I think that to be jazz needs to have that sort of like improvisational heart to it. Yeah. And I mean, you know, if if I think about getting better in something, I always want it to be something to do with understanding music more. Like when I listen to Julian Lange, uh, who, yeah. you know, Scott and I were talking about at the top of the pod guitar player, but one of the most inspirational musicians to me right now, I want his freedom. I want his choices. I want his vocabulary. Yeah, I want to just yeah. absorb it. And he was absorbing a lot of things, um, classical music, not a ton of pop music, <laughs> so, ding against me, uh, but, but then also a lot of jazz. And he has such command over the instrument in a way that is truly inspiring. And this will help you. Yeah. Uh, this program yeah, will help you get command. So even if you don't want to play Autumn Leaves forever and ever, um, going through the going through the standards is a, such an amazing vehicle. Going through all the things you are, I don't know. Do you guys do Autumn Leaves in the program? Is that one of them? No. I, um, okay. I'll tell you. Let me have a look. We do yeah. three. We actually picked them because of the. Uh, all right, so um, we picked them because of the harmonic um, yeah. structure. We wanted to choose. We wanted to choose standards that would teach about teach people about chord movement when they were learning about them. Yes. So the first one we do. There we go. Ah, we do Red Bossa, which is obviously based off of Blue Bossa, which is this great... So in weeks one through five, you don't even need to worry about walking bass lines. You're just playing a Bossa Nova, yeah. um, which is a great skill to learn. Obviously, there's Roots Fives, Roots Threes and Fives and stuff like that. Um, and it's a gr that's a great standard because it's got that 2-5... It's got a major 2-5-1. And it's got a minor two five one, ah, which that's is great. Cool. Yep, of yeah. course, yes. And then you see, so you, so you you find out what to play over a minor two five one because that screwed me up for so long. Me too. Yes. Yeah. 100%. I was like, what do you play over a two five one? How do you do this? I know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Before the right. internet, there was nowhere to go. <laughs> I, know. I mean, like, you know, and then you'd go to a teacher and ask. I can remember going to a teacher and asking them, and they had no freaking clue. <laughs> yeah, They'd give me some bullshit answer. And the yeah. same teacher, I can remember going to him and asking him about polychords i was like what do you play when it's like it's you know like a slash chord like a c yeah. over a e flat c bass or whatever e. yeah all of yeah. these kind of things he just he was just like i'll just treat it as a dominant chord he basically <laughs> just gave me some bullshit answer i was like oh that oh. is crazy i just treated it as a dominant chord yeah, yeah slash Everything chords slash chords are hard yeah. yeah. If anyone's I, wondering, you, you, <clears throat> just for starters, just play that note that's under the slash. If it's C over E, just play an E. That's for exactly, starters. Exactly. <laughs> yes. um, and then in weeks uh, six through 10, we focus on tune down, which is obviously our version of tune up, which is mm. a really amazing standard. And then for the last um, five weeks, 11 through 15, we do off blue dolphin Avenue, which is based on obviously green dolphin street, which is another yeah. great, great standard. And again, we chose those standards because of their harmonic structure. Um, and then the cool thing is that once we take you through that, that five step framework that we use on each of the standards over the 15 weeks, you can then take that and use it on loads of different standards. Anything. You've, you've, yeah, yes. you've, you've learned the framework so then you can use it. So it's really cool. 
I think I think not enough people understand that about the the standards that there aren't that many like it's not like every standard is this mind-blowing insane new chord progression or structure. They all use you know, they're, they're, they're conventions that show like up in a bunch katas, of karate katas, aren't they? Do you know when you're in karate learn your katas? You know, there's only so many moves. I don't so know means, but... It's like a sort of like a karate dance. I just, it, you know, I yeah, just sort yeah. of like insulted. The forms. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, it's not a dance. Right. It's a form. I yeah. apologize to all of the karate guys out there. <laughs> uh, but yeah, anyway, so again, if you want to check it out, go to studybasewithscott.com um, and, uh, and take a look. Take a peek. Now, moving on. We've got a few different segments organized <laughs> yeah, for today. We've got the next one. Dude. Hold on. Wait have, a minute. Go hold on, on a minute. Hold on a minute. You shot me a text just yesterday, I think, that said, dude, oh, no. I don't know how it's happened, but it's finally happened. I have <sighs> serious gas for, and <sighs> you say it. You say it, dude. <laughs> And I was like, of course, dude, it's so funny to me because, you know, I get out there to the UK. I just got back from that trip and you're like, okay, I'm, I'm, you know, I've got too much stuff, man. I'm getting rid of stuff. I'm selling stuff. We did, you guys, we also did this huge episode and we went through all of Scott's collection. Yeah. Scott's like, I'm getting rid of it at everything. I'm just going to keep one base. And then as we would go through it, I'd be like, how about this one? And you're like, no, man, this one's a keeper. <laughs> and, oh, my God. And then when you sent me the Alembic text, I was like, you have got to be kidding me. Why? Tell us why. Here's the thing, dude. I'm not a hater at all, but I don't get it. I've played an Alembic before, but I that is one of the brands. And come at me. Come at me, haters. I To <laughs> me, I don't love the way they look. I've never, ever wanted one, even remotely. And it's probably because I came up not loving, you know, like I didn't fall in love with Stanley Clark. I would have. It was yeah, just like before yeah, my time, yeah. and I never did. But, but like, I have never, ever been like, oh, an Alembic. They've always just seemed sort of like fringy and silly to me. Now, that's... Now I'm, I'm, that's just true. I could lie and be like, yes, of course, I've, I've wanted one too, and keep everybody, all the Alembic boys happy. But I don't care about that base. So you, so tell me why? Because it pissed me off, Divine. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So first of all, you are correct. Like, I don't know what's going on. We've you even. Are- We've even had sort of like little digs at Alem- Alembics, you know what I mean? Like recently on the pod, we were like, yeah, we were oh like, there was God. one conversation. We were like, are they even making them anymore? Like, and then we went to the website and we were like, what's going oh. on with their website? Remember, we went and yeah, we were like, what's going right. on with the website? Like, that's is, right. and I think they are making them actually still. I like, I, I'm not, I, yeah, somebody has to fact check me on that, but I think that they're, and still they've got a terrible website. Let me just put it out there. Um, but just, I've sent you a picture through. I've just sent you a picture through now. Take a look oh, at okay. that. All right. All right. Is, is that, do you just find that dog awful? This is, a, I've just sent Ian a picture of a vintage Alembic Series 1, 1979, yeah. with a maple top. Is that dog ugly to you or are I we? Mean, I I get it. So that's Phil Lesh that then moves into Stanley Clark. I mean, I 
I see it and I get it. I go, ooh, like if I saw that in a pawn shop, I and it was it was you know three seventy nine. I would know that I would oh. be getting a. You know what I mean? I'd be like, oh, they don't know what they have. This is just me going back to like pre internet, pre eBay. You know, I'd be like, yeah, oh, yeah. I would buy that, and I'd be like, wow, I think I got a great deal. That said. I have never, I've never been like, oh man, look at that thing. I gotta have it. I mean, that's just dumb because I love things that look similar. I love Ken Smith's and walls and, but that Alembic yeah. shape with the pointy thing at the, at the end of it. And dude, that pointy, know, things, that pointy thing, if you're on the left-hand side of a drummer, as we normally stand, you know, like on the hi-hat side, that yeah. pointy thing is what you smash into their head if they're oh, sort yeah. of like, like come back. Oh, you just bang them with that pointy end right in the oh, local. Oh yeah, dude! It's 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 also a weapon. So this exactly. gives new meaning to the word axe. Exactly. Okay? Yeah, yeah. But but in all seriousness, so let me. Um, oh, where do we? What does that thing freaking cost? I'm gonna find out, dude. 1979 Series One. That's six thousand pounds. So yeah. like maybe okay. eight thousand dollars or something. Dude, you know what? That's not as expensive as I thought. I so thought that yeah. these were were like. Dude, I thought that they were like big, big, big money. Some of them maybe are. Some, some, some of them, of them are. are. Some of them are like yeah. fifteen thousand. I think that some of them are like crazy money. Let me give you before we t- talk about why <laughs> I'm being a child yeah. and I want to uh, get an alembic. Let's just cover off some important information about alembic, so everybody's on the same page, right? Yes. yes. Okay. So <laughs> alembic, the first boutique builders. They were the first. Okay. Yes, they they that's were the true. first. All right. So, um, damn, I wish I'd really organized this more because now I'm like, well, that's it. <laughs> I've got nothing else. But they, they, there are certain things that sort of like the standout. They were the first boutique builders. And yeah. They were the first to do that sort of like multi-laminate approach. Like, and if you look mm. at any of their bases, they've got multi-laminate necks, they've got tops, they've got all of that right. thing going on. I think that they were the first to do active electronics as we see them now. Right. But check this out. They have an outboard sort of like you have to have a box with it to power oh, right. the, I see that box oh, that God. box you have to plug the base into it to make the to pickups the work right. this is my limited understanding of it i could be completely wrong but it is what it is okay take it for what it's worth i could be spreading yeah. lies but i think that you did well i'm not spreading lies in this but you do plug in the base to this little sort of like box which is about a power supply. Four inches. It's a power supply for the, yes. for the pickups. Yeah, you put right. it's like external. Yeah, so you have to have it on top of your amp or whatever. Like old yeah. microphones or old preamps have exactly. this kind of thing too. Yeah, I, I yeah. recognize that box. I'm yeah. looking at it right now. You, you plug it into that. And um, and also what's interesting is, and you'll find this really interesting, is the electronic approach. Yeah. The approach to the electronics, from what I can tell, are actually very similar to wall in fact i'm going to go out there and say wall electronics might not even exist if it wasn't for alembic you know all of the like the filter sweeps the cue control like all of that alembic did it before wall alembic did it first yeah and they did it before wall yeah it would stand to reason why whenever i'm you know going on and on about how amazing and unique the wall circuit is people are like uh alembic (laughs) 
Yes. I'm like, oh yeah, that's right. Alembic did it. I don't. What what the hell is my <clears throat> problem, dude? It's. I mean, I'm just going to be eating my words. You're going to buy this bass. I'm going to come over there. I'm going to play it, and I'm going to be like, God damn it. And then I'm going to go down the rabbit hole, Scott. Damn, this is honestly, terrible. I think we've been sleeping on Alembics. Yeah. I'm, I'm just going to put it out there because. And I'll get onto why I've been nerding out on these in a minute. But once I'd gone down the rabbit hole, I started watching videos, people demoing them. And actually, there is a tra- tragically few videos out there that are good of people demoing Alembics. Yeah. So uh, if if anybody's out there, you've got any video skills and you've got an Alembic, highly recommend that you go put something together, get it on YouTube, because people will watch it. Yeah, come um, on. Yeah. Um, and... Oh, just by the way, if you're looking at that video, it looks like it's got three pickups. That third pickup in the middle isn't a pickup. It's actually something, it's like a dummy pickup to cancel out the hum. So oh, if you go crazy. on to- crazy. Yes, if you go on to, like, if you use them as single coils, the, the, the hum, the, the two, the two coils, that actually sort of like cancels out the hum. Pretty cool, right? Crazy. So, that anyway, is cool. Oh, so God I damn think it. that we've, I think that we've been sleeping on, on Alembics. Yeah. I, from the videos that I've watched and the, articles that i've read i've been like crawling over talk base like a oh like a like a, i mean like a stalker i mean stalking yeah, these alembic guys from what i can see they're incredibly well made everybody raves on about the craftsmanship people that have got heavy bases like ken smith's federa's they're cropping yeah. up and they're like yep i've got an alembic it's the best built base i've got so that's wow. interesting so the incredible craftsmanship yeah. heavy as freaking sin yeah sure definitely that's cool, heavy though. like not I, I totally across the board there's some lighter ones out there but there are some like real like 14 pounders like <laughs> just, yeah just crazy crazy yeah. time right um and then the tones that you can get out of them, honestly, really impressive. From what I've sure. seen, just you can get a lot of different tones from them, which has been really surprising. And who are we so, thinking of when we think of Alembic? We, we think, well, I think of Phil Lesh, but then also I'm seeing these Mark King. Like, I associate Mark King with status bases. Status, yeah. So here's the interesting thing as well, that when I, like, none of them players want me, make me want to get an Alembic, okay? Sure. Mark King... Yeah, it's great, but I don't want to. I, I, it's not a sound that I'm particularly sort of like trying to um, His, like, get, get under sound. my yeah, get under my fingers. Okay. Um, Phil Lesh, same. Uh, Stanley Clark, yeah. same. Right, Stanley, of course. So, which brings me to someone else I've been sleeping on. Oh, I so know. not Who only is, dude? not I only know. have I been sleeping on <laughs> Olympic bases, yeah, which I feel bad about. So apologies. Okay. Public apology to all of the Alembic lovers out there that we never talk about Alembics on SBL. And yeah. I think it needs to change. Oh, boy. So there's a change coming. Um, but I've also <laughs> been sleeping coming. on somebody else. And this is super weird to say. Um, it's Jimmy Johnson. Yeah. I have been sleeping on... And, and th- like, I've, I've been racking my mind... Because I've listened to Jimmy Johnson now for the last two weeks nonstop. Really? Really? Just nonstop. And Jimmy Johnson, for those of you that don't know, James Taylor's bass player. Yes. James Taylor's bass player, heavy, heavy player. He also um, was Alan, one of Alan Holsworth's first ah, bass players. I didn't know that. Oh, dude. That's cool. So check this out. Because I've been racking my brain to sort of like trying to figure out why I've been sleeping on Jimmy Johnson. Because. Yeah. Why, Scott? People have. 
Well, in the past, people have said, oh, Jimmy Johnson, yeah. And I'm like, uh, and honestly, it's because I've heard him on stuff that hasn't yeah. really sort of like grabbed me or I've maybe heard him doing like a solo thing and I thought, yeah, that's pretty cool. It's, it's. Maybe maybe I would have taken a different direction than one he than what, than what he took there, right? Whatever. So it's I've heard him before playing, you know, and playing solos and bands and stuff like that, and I've thought, yeah, 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 yeah maybe not my thing, but great player. Um, yes. But then I started going deep into um, his stuff with Alan Holsworth, ah. like all of his albums with Alan Holsworth, and the guy's a freak show in yeah. all of the best ways. So it actually was interesting to me to find that within certain contexts, I'm like, yeah, he's a great player, but yeah, like there's a lot of great players. But in within this context, when he's playing mm -hmm. with Alan Holsworth, he is a freaking freak show. I love he's him. Like the best bass player. Yeah. He's, ma yeah, uh, man, I think you, he's you maybe- You gotta hit me like, to something. Dude, I've listened, so check this out, because I, I went down the rabbit hole with this. I was like, okay, I'm going to listen to all of Alan Holzer's bass players playing the same track, because I'm going to be listening. Oh, funny. I'm, oh, yeah, dude. Ah, dude, I went down. I, I, went, I, was dude, down I love there. it. I, I the love same it. track, I'm listening to all of the, I'm listening to like Novak. I'm listening to, uh, uh, not Novak, sorry, Carpenter, Dave, Car the late, great Dave yeah, Carpenter. Sure. I'm listening to Schooley. I'm listening to Jimmy Johnson. I'm listening to Jimmy Haslip. I'm listening mm. to um, Anthony Crawford. Great players, Great players. Okay. Yeah. So this one track I was listening to, yeah. all of them, it was Jimmy Johnson. It was, he had something that just lit me up with the way that he approached the track. It was the ah, best. And he's just got something really unique about his playing. He plays mm. it unlike anybody else. And actually, when I when I got when I went down that rabbit hole, that that Schoolie Ferrison solo that I talk about so much, low level, high yes. stakes, that yes. solo made more sense to me. I was like, oh, I get this. What do you mean? Because I think that Jimmy Johnson was a big influence to Schoolie in the past. Really? Yeah. Check this out. I'll play you. I'll play you a solo. This is well. This is a revelation for you, Divine, revelation. because that solo was a big, big, big part of your like love for the bass and love for harmony and soloing. Dude, it was the reason I started playing bass. Was yes. that solo? Man, if anybody wants to check wow. it out, Alan Holsworth, low levels, high stakes, best bass solo of all time is in it. <laughs> and and in fact, I will play. Let, let, here we go. We're going, we're going to go there, right? So here's... I'm not going to play it all, because obviously um, it's we don't want to have everybody here for forever on this. This is low levels, high stakes. I'm going to play a little snippet of the bass solo, and then we're going to listen to the Jimmy Johnson solo, okay? So let me just find oh, the... Let's uh, do it. Okay, so... Here's Schooly. Yeah? Lovely. Lovely. Okay. Lovely. Great sound, too. Man. Gr great, great sound. sound. Great yeah. sound. Tobias six string, um, Wenge neck, and oh, yeah, the whole thing. Right. Let's check yeah. this out. 
I love that I'm showing you this. You're going to be like, oh, well, I'm not going to say it, but just check this out. I can't wait. Jimmy Johnson. Same tune. No. Oh. Different different tune. Different okay, tune. Okay. okay. Got it. Check it out. really like high high functioning like high level playing <laughs> so similar in like i listened to it and i was like oh that's interesting because i've been sort of like i just never got to the source yeah that, and you, and that's the source that happened before is what you're saying that happened um that was so low levels high stakes when was that recorded man um 1993 Got it. Um, and that one was recorded in 1989. So four years wow, before. Four years prior. Four years I mean, prior. Here, yeah. Here's what I will say. Like when I hear that sound, the the top end sounds like an active bass to me. Like mm, a like a, yeah. a like that kind of too much of a buffer. Like the, the cable is short and the batteries have a lot of <laughs> juice in them, and it's like the high end is so like direct bass pronounced, sound super pronounced isn't it yeah yeah um and i schoolie's sound to me i love his high end sounds a little more acoustic in a sense it is yeah but there's something yeah. about that jimmy johnson sound and is that an alembic on the That's jimmy johnson alembic, yeah yeah there's something about the down low sound like when he goes low it has this sort of growl and character that those active bases early active bases like i think of ken smith in this way too have yes. this kind of this uh, down low it that sounds is like so a piano cool. almost isn't it it's yeah like, right right yeah. yes so yeah and, so i've and gone now, down that and now hole. you <laughs> i've gone down and it, you're dude. like now look at all these alembics dude i know oh, that's yeah incredible. and it's so childish but I'm, you know, I am what I am. Um, it's, it's like, but I do, I, it's just so interesting to me that, yeah, I, it'll go, it'll go, I'll die, it'll die off. I mean, but well, maybe not. Oh, maybe will I'll, it? Maybe will I'll it? get an alembic. Um, but what I found, one. I know. But what I really <laughs> found interesting as well when I got into Jimmy's playing is that he's got a completely different approach to moving around the fingerboard as well, which I found mm, very, yeah, like he uses a crap ton of open strings. So many, so many, like way more than other dudes, like a lot of open strings. I'm not sure if he like learned upright when he was a kid or something like that. So he sure. had that sort of like baked in from a, from an early age or whether he just likes that approach. But he, he uses a lot of open strings within his runs, which I love. I love, I, I love hearing that when Jameson does it, obviously, but hearing yeah. it, hearing it in this i'm just like it's equally as um amazing because we're in a completely different style of music so yes yeah, so i went down the jimmy john like jimmy johnson i mean i'm a, like, a huge fan it turns out that uh you know that i want to go and uh, knock on his door and sort of like you oh. know i, I want to get him on the freaking show dude 
Dude, he's a Minneapolis guy, or at least I don't know if he still lives here, but he did. I have heard. Did, did I hear it from you that he was reluctant to talk about? He's really stuff? private. Re- yeah, I reached out and he wasn't yeah. up for it, but that was a long, long time ago. It was a long time ago, oh, and let's, he, maybe, let's try maybe it was. Again. Yeah, maybe it was the sort of like inception of the internet, and he was like, "What the heck? What is this internet thing?" So maybe he'd be bad? up for it. I think that it would be amazing to to sit down and talk with him about his bases um, oh. and also his approach as well. Like he's got. And a really amazing approach of move, moving around the base. Um, yes. It's fascinating, and his string spacing is bonkers tight. Like when you see it, it's, it's super super small, right? Yeah, it looks like it's maybe like fifteen point five. Like it's crazy. Because yeah. wasn't he one of the first guys to ever play a five, like a low B five string? I think he was the first player to play a five. Was he the first? And it was an alembic. Is that right? I, I mean, think it was. Sorry. Le- Let's go. Make- God, First we need Jim. Five. Get Jim on the podcast. Bass. Dude, it, has been, it was so nice having Jim in the studio in uh, in a production role, and then just in like just looking stuff up for us. How how wonderful was that? It was awesome, wasn't it? Jim yeah. Oh, Jim, we love killer. you. Okay, love so check you, this dude. out. Fender had the earliest model, which was obviously the base five, but obviously it wasn't like a proper. Yeah, that five was a high string. C. Exactly. Yeah. That was Yannick before Yannick, you know? Exactly. Matt Garrison before Matt Garrison. Jimmy Johnson had that. So interestingly, if if people don't know this, the five string came after the six string bass. Oh, because that's so crazy. Anthony Jackson played a six string bass strung B E A D G C before there was a five string. But then Jimmy Johnson, apparently in this article here says he had the first five string made in 1974, but the first production five would have been in the early eighties. And, and, and and this, and it said it could have been the Yamaha B 5,000. Yes, that's what I heard. That that's what I I mean, I've talked about that on my oh, what was it? Uh it was uh Peter Gabriel because I think one of the guys that played not Levin. Ugh, this is this is ter- good story, bro. Good story, Ian. Nice job. Good job. Good job, Ian. I don't even remember who it was and but yeah, I thought that Yamaha was the first production. Yeah. But uh but Alembic made the first one for Jimmy in 74. Man, that was a that was like 10 years before Yamaha did the production run. That's crazy. Bonkers, isn't it? I actually think yes. I've got like a, a memory of a video I did. I think it was that Ken Smith video I did. Do you know about my four string? And I think that Paul Reed Smith actually built the first five string bass, but, but Alembic completed theirs before. I think it was something oh, weird wild. like that. Yeah, the Paul yes. Reed Smith. I think it was... I think it might have been for a bass player called Tony, Tony something. I have no clue. I don't know. Yeah, something. Uh, somebody else, somebody, uh, like, yeah, somebody remember what I said. We're both, <laughs> we're both just a couple of dudes out here being like, uh, who was it again? Uh, it was, uh, I don't remember. It was that name, John. That John. <laughs> oh, God. Yeah. The hell's wrong with us? It's so funny. Oh, this guy uh, say I, yeah. this. This other guy said, nineteen seventy six. Jimmy Johnson worked with Alembic and GHS to create one of the first five string bass guitars with a low B. Living in the LA area since nineteen seventy nine, Johnson continues to record with yeah, he did James Taylor and yada yada. Great, great yeah. player, great player. I kind That's of. That's how um, I know him is with James y- Taylor. 
Dude, he's a freak show. Like, I love him. He's yeah. he's a monster player. Like, he really is. And it's, um, I think, like, I think obviously people know about Jimmy Johnson, but I think a lot more people need to know about Jimmy Johnson because I'm like the geek of all geeks, and I hadn't really gone down that rabbit hole, which I, which I, That's great. like, to know that, yeah, like low levels, high stakes. When I listen to that from that was done by Scully four years after. Um, uh, Jimmy Johnson had had recorded. It's called Fifty Four Duncan Terrace by Alan Holdsworth. That 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 was the other the Jimmy Johnson um, solo that I played played you. To know that 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 to me sounds like it really inspired that. And to know that it's taken me three decades to join those dots is pretty outlandish to me. That's crazy. Three decades, yeah. thirty years. But but it's so cool. How fun is that though? To, to like to just admit it, claim it, like and not pretend that like oh yeah, I've been hip to that forever. But like actually be like wow. I mean, it's really amazing in your forties to uncover something new that was old. That you know you kind of think like ah, I've listened to a bunch of stuff and hey, there's new stuff coming out. But I've kind of checked it out. And then you're like, whoa, this thing passed me by. I mean, that's, of course, it's everywhere in music. I mean, if you ever think that you've got it all listened to, you don't, right? And yeah, so it's so yeah. fun to unearth some things that, you know, you were not hip to. I love it. I need to exactly. I need to deep dive on Jimmy Johnson. I just know the James Taylor stuff, and it's lovely. Uh, but James Taylor I, band are ridiculous. Yeah, they're monsters. They're so um, hip night. Steve Gadd at the minute. It's Steve yeah. Gadd, Mike Landau on guitar, Jimmy Johnson. Yeah. Hey, and if uh, that that band actually um, have some albums out, it's called the Steve Gadd Band. Like Steve mm. Gadd Band. It was Ian Trusheim that hit, hit me to this. He sent really? me like about yeah, about a year or two years ago. Ian reached out and he was like, "Hey, you got to check out Steve Gadd, the Steve Gadd Band, their new album." It's really awesome. It doesn't sound oh, anything so cool. like you, you think you think it would. You think yeah. of like a drummer ah, releasing cool. an album. You think it's going to be sort of like all chops and parawiddles. <laughs> you know, I'm going to nick it. I'm going to whip, yes. whip out some parawiddles. It ain't that. Yes. It's actually, it's freaking awesome. There's like a beautiful ah, horn cool. player on that. I can't remember the horn player's name. Songs. He plays flute. Yeah. He, oh, it's just great. It's great. Anyway, talking about um, new and old and all of that. I'm just looking at the docket mm, here, and you've got nice you got on there, yeah, vintage versus modern or new versus old, which is actually better, huh? Yeah, I mean, you know, Why I was thinking about this whole thing, like thinking about this thing. You know, we put out a video recently on uh, the YouTube channel around vintage basses. Yeah. Because uh, we were spent some time with Andy Baxter and hung out and, you know, and he's a vintage bass dealer, obviously. He's got, you know, he said it himself, he's got skin in the game. But yeah. it was interesting because we put some, a couple of posts on socials where people were, you know, like, is this, is a vintage instrument intrinsically better? Is it worth the money? And, you know, the spoiler, it's not better necessarily. But it is different. And that's something that I've noticed throughout my base, base buying and base coveting and, you know, base admiring life. When yeah. I play a vintage instrument, it's not so much that it's like, oh my God, it's so much better. Therefore, it justifies this insane price that it might cost. But it's different. And it's those yeah. differences that start getting you kind of like, 
Ooh, it, maybe it's a little quieter and the and the high end is kind of mellow, but then you turn up a preamp in the studio. Wow, and it fills the space of a track in a way that your kind of, you know, yeah. boutique or modern or new bass just doesn't quite do. And I've always sort of wondered, is that just BS nostalgia? Is it just me kind of, you know, wanting a vintage bass to be better because I bought one? <laughs> You know, but then yeah. it was so interesting, man. Uh, jumps on the uh, who enters the chat, but John Button, the great John Button, who really? plays with the Who. Nice. Yeah, and also in that same comment, uh, jumps in uh, John Davis, who plays with Nerve and is also <sighs> a, a heavy mix engineer and mastering engineer. I believe, John, I believe you do mastering as well. Apologies if you don't, but he runs the Bunker Studio in New York, and both of those guys, in terms of recording, spoke to this on Instagram and said, absolutely vintage bases in general if we can use vintage bases as a blanket i think they were referring to like a fender style passive vintage fender let's say p bass jazz bass yeah yeah they felt like they really sat better in a mix and recorded better and gave an engineer far less headaches and john davis even goes so far as to say modern bases are really hard sometimes to get them to sit in a mix in a way and I thought, man, and then so I was like, come on, dude, break it down. What do you think that is? Because I have thoughts about that as well. I've spent probably too much time thinking about that crap. I've got a lot of experience recording vintage basses as well. But I was like, John, for you, and, and John Davis in particular, I should ask it's Button also, too, but Ian, John Davis. It, Ian, it's yeah. also worth saying as well that John Davis is a heavy, heavy, heavy engineer. He owns a studio exactly. called, yes. yeah, like he's a great bass player, but he owns Bunker Studios in That's Brooklyn, right. New York. And if you are like a heavy sort of like jazz to sort of like that New York jazz vibe, you know, all the way through to like John Patitucci, you're going to go to, John's going to be engineering your, yeah. your record he, and you're going to record it. He mixes bunker, tons yeah. of stuff too, man. He, he mixes indie rock and um, like yeah, he does right all kinds board, of stuff. Isn't it? He's heavy, isn't he? He's yeah. a badass. Absolutely. Yeah. And he was saying that it's hard to get a vintage, sorry, hard to get a modern bass to sit. And I asked him, break it down. Why? Like, is it to do with pickups and magnetism? Do you think it's to do with wood? What? And yes, of course, it's a combo. Of course, it's a combo. But what do you think is the biggest contributing factor? And Scott, I was ready. I was ready for the gold. I was ready for the nugget <laughs> to be dropped. And I'm going to look at it right now. Uh, okay. And I've got he no says, <laughs> he says, oh, Lord. And now it's like, oh, Ian, can you find it? Can you find it, Ian? He says, I said, if you had to die on this hill, John Davis, what do you think is the biggest contributing factor? And he said, ooh, that's a tough one. I'm like, no. He said, I don't even know. I know the more an instrument is played, the better it gets. And the good ones get played the most. So maybe just a combination of good basses that came off the line 45 years ago and had the shit played out of them. Yeah. And it's still, it does not answer the mystery, Scott Devine. So it doesn't while answer you, the mystery. Yeah, while you were saying that, if people can hear me clicking clicking around in the uh, in the background, I was trying to find 
a um a forum post that ken smith so ken smith um maker of ken smith bases don't you know has <laughs> yes, a yes. Uh, has a forum um called smith smith base forums.com and it's where all of the ken smith nerds go and hang out and talk about their smith bases anyway so That's right yeah Ken, ken's yeah. in there and i can't find the uh i can't find the 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 post the blog post he wrote about it but somebody was asking about new and used ken smiths right mm -hmm. so obviously it is in ken's own interest to say new my new bases are as good as the old bases yes obviously right of in course because he wants to sell them because he wants to sell them yeah. but he doesn't and what mm -hmm. he actually says is look you know the new bases we make them just like the old bases but they ain't going to sound like an old base because they haven't had years and years of people playing them and that is going to affect how the instrument resonates over time and he said, so yeah. a new instrument, he said, will be built as well as an older bass. And he said, maybe and even in, better. Yeah, you know? maybe even better. And in right. time, will sound like an older bass. But his point was, but it's not going to sound mm. like an older bass. So I, I thought that time. was, yeah. yeah. And, and, you know, and you've had that experience recently where you actually had a, a, a new Smith and or a newish Smith and an older Smith, and you yeah. actually preferred the newer Smith. Um, Personally. Yeah. All that to say that I still think Ken must have had, like, it's, for him to say that, it's such a strong statement to say it that. Is. So yeah. he must, he must have had experience like experiences that maybe we haven't had of playing his own basses and for whatever reason feeling like the older ones had yeah. some sort of like mojo juice about them that the new ones just hadn't got yet and yeah. i've got an old I ken mean, smith over there an eight, early 80s yep. one and it it's got mo like it ha it doesn't feel like a, a, a new instrument it doesn't it, it does you not pick it up it's so and that cool. neck doesn't feel like a new instrument the body doesn't there's something about it maybe it's just because they're made yeah. out of wood you know I wonder and, if, and wood changes over time and yeah, yeah could be oh dude i was playing this freaking talking about like mojo and basses i was playing this 1959 p bass that andy's got the yes. other day what did you jesus. think <laughs> jesus you loved well, it first of all it's sixteen thousand pounds so yeah. you know so it's, i ain't, it's I ain't a lot buying of cheese, it bro it's a lot of cheese bro but um it was outlandish yeah, did you I like played it? that one? I loved it. I played yeah. that one in a shop. I was more drawn toward that the fifty seven, the like with the pickguard over both horns. You know, it was yeah, like an early yeah. early fifty seven sunburst with the white guard. But yeah. I played that fifty nine as well, and it was sweet. He had the he had the cover with the heavy foam on it. You guys probably took that off. I'm imagining we we left it on. We left it on. Oh, you so, did. Yeah, sounded great, dude. But it sounded you, you great. Love bass. I love it. I love it. It was there was just something I mean, so like there ain't new. The, the, okay, let me just put it out there. There ain't new basses yeah. that play like that. There, there aren't. I know what you mean. They're yeah. not. Right. You know? When I found my '68 jazz bass, I've got that really beat up sunburst. It's somewhere. Okay, it's not back there. Um, I hope it's still around. <laughs> Is it? Has it gone? Uh, <laughs> Oops. Lost uh, it. 
<laughs> I mean, I've told this story before, but a guy handed that to me in a store, uh, Nick Johnson at Willie's American Guitars in St. Paul, Minnesota. And he said, I was all in like a, a Lakeland phase. I was working for Lakeland and they were paying me in bases, which was amazing. And so oh, I was like, it. Lakeland fanboy. Burgers and bases. Burgers and bases. <laughs> it's just the best, dude. <laughs> oh, just forever. And so, you know, I was like, no, 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 man. Lakeland, it's the way. And th- those are great bases. And Nick was like, yeah. Yeah, yeah, those are those are great bases. Uh, also, here, try this '68 jazz bass that we just got in, and I was like, yeah. And I wasn't in, and it was super beat up. And I was like, this thing is going to be a dog, and like whatever. And I plugged it in, and I just played a G, and it had old old rounds on it, or maybe yeah, yeah I think so, just old rounds. And I just played a G, and it was just like, Doom. I don't know if that was a G that I just sang. I don't have perfect pitch, but it just gave me this G that was so unadorned with hype it just sounded like you you cleared away the brush you hacked away the bullshit and there was the perfect g that just sounded in front of me and i was like oh and i couldn't get it out of my mind like i played it a while and i was like well this actually i was like i gotta stop playing it man or that's really nice he's like not great and i put it away and then it just haunted me like you know and God, I was on my honeymoon. It was like right after Emily and I got married oh, on our honeymoon in in uh, San Francisco, and she was like, "You got to stop talking about this space." <laughs> you know, you're like, oh my God, she's she's probably like, "I have married a child." It's like, I have married a fucking child. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. I was like, "Oh, this space, oh, it was so great." Oh my God, and I just had to have it, and it's it's truly one of the best. Now, now you put it up against other things. Other things are going to be louder and have more low end and they're going to be more even and they're going to be but there's something about the vintage ones where you like hear the wood through the weeds does that track with you scott like you hear sort of the essence of the instrument yeah i don't know if that's it but it feels like what it is more acoustic somehow it does feel more acoustic like that p bass i was playing the other day the whole instrument just resonated differently it just resonated differently and it was just thick and soupy dude i can't get it because i'm like look i'm perv i'm perving on freaking alembics dude alembics dude yeah like lisa woke up you're gonna have to plug in that box and you're gonna be like oh god i forgot the box oh god like lisa woke up in the middle of the night i swear to god this is true she woke up in the middle of the night like she looked over the you know on my side of the bed there was there, there was some light some from co- coming from under the covers because I'd gone under the covers so I didn't wake her up because oh I'm because I'm lame so there I am hiding under the covers shuffling yes. about she's looking she's like oh that dude's he what I divine are you looking at porn I'm like oh uh, like, in a sense yes kind of what kind of porn Base porn, <laughs> dude. I love, I love that in your story, your wife called you divine, <laughs> divine, <laughs> divine, just like a college basketball coach, dude. Oh, you know, dude, just yeah. divine. Get your hustle, get your hustle together. No college basketball coach has ever said that, but that's oh. what I imagine, dude. Tell you what, yeah, dude. You tell you what, the man. rabbit hole. 
Yeah, th- those Alembics, they do not sound like old Fenders. <laughs> <laughs> they don't. And I mean, even that Jimmy Johnson solo, he got up high. And and, and I feel like uh, modern active, well, I mean, you know, that Alembic he's playing is not modern per se, and, or, or it's not new, but yeah. it is of that sort of like active sound. And when you get up high on those strings, man, you hear that clarity. And to some, that is a, some people really like that, clear, that piano thing and i do in some ways but also i hear it and it's like that ken smith thing that we've talked about that kind of like there's a mid-range high-end thing that sort of exposes it immediately you're like "Ah, that's ken smith yeah yeah exactly And, and some people love it and some people hate it. And I'm in the middle. I sort of struggle. I, I love it because it's so thumbprint. And you know me with, like, I love basses that, you know, I'm the guy that wants to have one of all the classic basses, right? Exactly. And, uh, Where's your and Alembic, then, dude? Where's the uh, Alembic? Oh, dude. Oh, dude sounds, like you need, sounds like you need to, you know, just oh my pop God. that wall open oh one more God. time. <laughs> hey, check this out. I, I do. Let me give you a quick bass update. Check this out. For, Go for, for pod listeners, when we had Blue to Tiger on, I haven't announced this formally, but we had Blue to Tiger on, and she was talking about a 79 Stingray, Music Man Stingray, and I said, I have one of those. It was Amazing. a bass that she'd always wanted. Yes. I ended up, and maybe maybe I've mentioned this on the pod, so forgive me. I'm, I'm old and senile, I guess. But I sold her the 79 Stingray, and she now has it. I got to bring it down to her show, hang out. Her brother was so cool, uh, who plays drums with her, um, Rex. and uh, Or I believe it's Rex or Rax. I, I think it's R-E-X, Rex, the tiger. And yeah. then we had a great hang, and she bought this bass. And it made me so happy, and that you know, and I'm like, oh, that was that was good, that was good. A- am I am I slightly stressed that I have that hole in my collection now? Huh? Like I don't have a stingray. Yeah, I'm a little, <laughs> but it's fine, dude. It's fine. You know why? <clears throat> because I did all this content with it for SBL. It's all good. That stuff's done. I never get asked to play this bass. It's fine. It's fine. It's fine. Then the next day, I am not kidding. I don't think I told you this, Scott. You have next day, Michael Bland from the New Power Generation, Prince's Band, who is a drummer in Minneapolis and plays in Soul Asylum, calls me up to do a remote session. He's like, hey man, can you do a remote session for this hip-hop artist called Champ Town? I said, are you kidding me? I would love to. And he was like, great. He's like, do your thing. Do, you know, you'll, you'll hear it. I played a bunch of scratch bass on it. He's like, but. He goes, Ian, oh, there's something that I. Oh, do not say it. <laughs> He's like, don't listen. Don't fucking say it. He's like, there's a moment at the end of one of these tunes that is like that break in Funky Monks. You know what I'm talking about? And I was like, wait, like the, and am I getting that right? Or is it Mellow Ship? What's the, what's the classic tune that we did? Yeah. Um, I can't remember, but yeah, that one. Yeah. Yeah. That one on Blood Sugar Sex Magic. It's either Mellow Ship or Funky Monks. I always mix it up, but, um, dude, he was like, there's a break at the end that I'm channeling that flea thing. So, you know, do that on a bass that is like that. And I was like, oh, my God. I didn't have the wall yet. So this <gasps> yeah, was, was right say, before I came to the UK. I was going to say, just take the wall. <laughs> I didn't have the wall. And I, I gave away the five-string Stingray that he actually played. I think oh, on yeah. that tune was a five-string Stingray. I gave yeah. that away in a, in a, <laughs> in a SBL in a Winnebase Build-A-School. What did you and do? I was like, 
oh, I'm like, oh, oh shit. Well, I, I mean, just kill me, I guess, because I can't, I, can, I guess I can't do it. And then, dude, and then you know what happened, Scott? It was fine. Guess what? You use a bass that's active and you kind of tweak some stuff. I ended up using my Spectre NS2 and it sounded awesome. But was it, was it, and he was like, he was happy, it was fine, it was all good. But dude, yeah. it, it rattled me a little, man. It rattled me. It was like the oh. universe was like, Stop selling, stop selling amazing vintage basses. Don't do it. Don't do it anymore. Wow, and that is an amazing story. That's fun. <laughs> that is amazing. You didn't tell me. That's amazing. Yeah. Wow. It's crazy. Yeah. So, you know, guys, whatever. Like, uh, so you're, so, bases. You're in the, so you're in the game for a music man then, right? <laughs> Back in the game. Man. Oh, God. You know, I actually sold a gorgeous, It's it was a special run, uh, Music Man Stingray 2010 that was made for Guitar Center. It was They were red with tortoiseshell pick guards, and then they had the white pickup. And then they had oh, a yeah. roasted yeah. maple yeah. neck and yeah. an ebony fingerboard. Super rare beast i had one of those i sold it to my uncle roman and i i'm i might have hit Good up my uncle, uncle he, roman. he listens to the pod roman listen man listen was uncle roman up. the dude that was like he was around your house when you first moved in right your new place uh uh that, that would have been that would have been uncle rick ah uncle rick sorry uncle <laughs> no, rick sorry um, look, and roman's look, stealing rick, the fire here I know, yeah. Uncle Rick is is like uh, our family friend and handyman. He's not actually an uncle. My uncle Roman, legit uncle. He got me into Rush, Scott. In your estimation, for better or for worse, <laughs> he he was a huge influence to me. Was playing the bass. I saw him. I had two two relatives, Uncle Roman and my cousin Arison, that were bass players that were hugely influential. And Roman, I sold. I've sold a few basses to Roman over the years, uh, and he's an awesome bass player. And and he checks out the pod, so shout out to you, Rome. Uh, but I might have hit him up. I might have texted my uncle Roman and been like, "Hey, man, you uh, you still got that? Uh, yeah, yeah. You yeah. still got that uh, Music Man Stingray? I might be in the market." And he's like, "Yeah, man, sure." Oh God. So yeah, I, I might I might swing out there and scoop that so one. So you back. might be buying it back. <laughs> we'll see. We'll see. Who knows? <laughs> might be buying it back. <laughs> yeah, exactly right. Dude, well, exactly right. Yeah, I'll get an Alembic. You get that. Um, okay, d d quick one before we call it. If anybody want, I know that I was ranting about Jimmy Johnson earlier, but I didn't. I didn't mention what you can listen to him on. So if you yeah. want to listen to him, um, the album I've been eating up for breakfast is. If you go to Spotify, there's two things. Um, Number one is Alan Holdsworth Secrets, the album. So Secrets, the album, remastered. And then the other one is Alan Holdsworth um, All Night Wrong, which is a live album. Cool. So the the track that I played you actually earlier, which was 54 Duncan Terrace, um, was off the album Secrets that was recorded in 1989. Um, but there's also some really great playing on All Night Wrong as well, which I think is recorded much later. Pisses me off about Spotify is that you can never find out any information. Like credits? Yeah. Yeah, I know. Yeah. Jesus. It would be, it's, it's like... Fix it, Spotify. Freaking bunch of clowns, honestly. Like, <laughs> can remember, 
Like, do you remember what he, like, in the 90s and stuff, and, well, I'm saying the 90s because that's when I was obviously a teenager and I sort of, like, came of age and, and started to know, understand shit, right? And yeah. everybody was like, whoa, can you, can you remember back in the day when, the, like, people used to buy albums and there was no credits on them and you couldn't, mm. like, you didn't know where they were recorded, you didn't know who the right. engineer was, who the that's producer right. was, or any of that shit. Well, welcome to freaking spotify you bunch of clowns sort it out yeah it's it's, it's back to that now yeah i mean oh, that's what you know like no one knew that james jamerson played right on all those recordings right i mean that was uh, that was a huge thing because they weren't doing credits back in that day and then credits became very in vogue probably what in the a 70s i don't know, I don't know. actually but credits like everyone was started there were liner notes that started to really happen at some i'm just listen I'm just talking out of my ass, but I do feel like it was sorted for a while and then wasn't and now isn't. And maybe you can, if you can find it, but you really got to dive. You it really got to dive in pisses, sometimes. It is their responsibility. Really it's difficult. like, can you imagine if like Netflix decided to, it's like, actually let's just cut all the credits off films. Fuck credits. Right. Yeah. Yeah. We don't care who the director right. was or the producer. Or the, nobody just, watches them. No, everybody nobody, leaves. Let's, let's get rid of them. them. Yeah. yeah. Let's just cut them because right. this is screwing up our watch time. Like, yeah. oh, f- can you tell? Can you tell? Yeah. It pisses, yeah, I can. Oh, it and I, and I'm glad. I'm glad. Oh. I'm glad it pisses you off. It should. It pisses me off too. I used to love that I just that banged stuff. my table. And like now we have to <laughs> yeah. go to the internet and we have to go. I have to go. I have to get the... You know, like it's freaking so convoluted. You have to go, you have to type into Google Alan Allsworth Secrets, and then you've got to find these websites that list all the credits and of where it was recorded. With spinning GIFs and. Oh, God. Yeah, please sort it oh, out, I Spotify. I know it's not on your sort of like high priority list, but for God's sake, you know. Do, do, you know, like I love the platform and that. It's great to be able to. Uh, to be able to listen to this stuff but jesus it's just like a massive middle finger at all of the people that worked on those records we're, we're not going to pay you anything and we're not going to tell you like to the artists like we're not going to tell you who played on it and we're not going to pay you yeah yeah cool yeah cool Wicked. good great yeah yeah <laughs> good news i mean it as well like i like i do like spotify i think that it is a great platform and stuff for like listening to don't music. you backpedal on it I'm, now i, I want not, you to keep the hate i'm not back keep the hate alive i think they're a bunch of clowns for not for not it's obviously a total like unmuso thing to do like that's what it yes. just reeks of it i can smell yes. that freaking cheesy bullshit in the air it's like a non-muso <laughs> thing to do there was obviously a sort of like a conversation that went down on the exec board like hmm do we need to put album credits on and some doofus re- what are oh, album man. credits what are album credits <laughs> yeah i'm well, like sure uh, nobody nobody cares about that yeah, yeah. nobody cares yeah, about the some- musicians anyway so fuck it some, somebody even said like D- does anyone stay for the credits in the movie theater <laughs> As- aside from the one like weird couple in the middle of the theater like no no one does no we're not putting them in oh yeah anyway okay so on a lighter note <laughs> thanks for listening people we love uh, you we love you we love you and we know we love you that you guys freaking love album credits we know right. we, we know it know that you love Heart the album yeah dude yes <gasps> absolutely it's important oh. <laughs> <laughs>
right. I feel like I'm spent. I've got nothing left. <laughs> I've got nothing left except just a little bit of rage. A little bit, a little, a little trickle of rage left. Anyway, it's going to carry you through your day. Yeah, dudes, we'll see you on the next one. Thanks so much. Hopefully you're enjoying this kind of new format that we're going with where we're talking about a few different topics within, uh, within each pod. I'm loving it, actually. Are you digging it? It's so fun. Yeah, I'm loving it. Absolutely, man. It's, yeah, it's great. cool, isn't it? Okay, dudes, we'll see you on the next one. Bye. Take care, everybody.